This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the pre-row. Oh, ad. Anyway, it's episode 140, and uh, today I think I'm going to tell you guys that listen in on Thursday, you're going to get another new Do Nothing Man episode. Of course, this is going to be censored and old, because only members of the Lions of Liberty Pride get to hear brand new Do Nothing Man episodes, the libertarian superhero who I write, voice, and just have a wonderful time with. Uh, But brand new episodes come out for our Pride members only. Go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty and join for as little as $5 a month. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Happy post-Labor Day, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 140. 140, only 10 episodes left until episode 150, and you know what that means? Probably nothing. I probably will do nothing special, but eh, you never know. I might get inspired, might decide to do something or other, maybe dress up in a little Liberty-themed bikini, maybe some yellow and black. I'm thinking left tit yellow, right tit black. Uh, bikini bottoms bisected down the middle. Probably a pretty good look on me. I think I'll look a lot like, you know that, uh, ah, what was his name? The black kung fu star who had the afro and the mutton chops in Enter the Dragon. I'm going to Google him in real time, but he wore a sweet-ass gi in that karate tournament. And uh, man, that's a good look. I'm not going to have the uh, the Afro, of course. I mean, cultural appropriation and all. Who who needs that? Jim Kelly. That's who it was. Martial arts expert Jim Kelly. That was who was the badass mofo wearing that yellow and black gi. I guess they kind of all were at one point. The other white guy who karate kicked like he had some sort of arthritis in his knees also was wearing a yellow gi with a black belt. But whatever, man. I'm gonna model my bikini after Jim Kelly. Maybe I'll maybe I'll let my pubes grow out real big and that'll be my fro. And I'll grow mutton chops down the inside of my thighs, uh, which I of course call the Van Buren. It's my style for all you ladies. If you want to do it, you go. Anyway, I, I'm describing too much. Welcome to the show, everyone. Our Labor Day edition. And you know, I uh Labor Day just I love Labor Day because I love any day off work being a drinking man. But it just, it's one of those days where I have to stay off of social media because it just pisses me off to no end seeing all of my lefty friends and those who are probably right in the middle who are just completely oblivious to history of economics, of how the free market works, of how the evolution of technology thrives and survives and makes life better for all of us little human beings out there by boosting productivity and requiring us to work less man hours with our hands, our sensitive hands made of flesh and bone and skin. And it's until I get my sweet robo claws, but not yet. But it just, it, it really pisses me off. And of course, you know, we've got the the most common lies told by these unions and union proponents, which is of course the number one lie that all of these union hucksters like to throw out on Labor Day is that somehow unions are responsible for weekends and the 40-hour work week. Now, this is somewhat true. And I'm going to go into this. Uh, I'm going to go into these lies because as you saw from the title of the episode, I want to compare and contrast lies told here. I want to see who's the bigger liar. Is it the unions on Labor Day and on any other day that, that involves uh, some sort of work-related holiday? lying about what they have accomplished and pretending that, you know, this is, this is something that would not have happened by virtue of the free market. Uh, and it's not as if, you know, we aren't giving up far more than we're gaining from unions. Are they the bigger liars? And I'll go through those lies. Or are police unions and fraternal brotherhoods of police departments, are they the bigger liars after, let's say, a tragedy happens, like in Houston, where an officer 
decided to completely fabricate evidence, get an affidavit, uh, make up his own secretive witness to essentially get a warrant and go to people's houses with armed officers where there was a shootout and where two people died for absolutely no reason. We'll talk about that later too, but we'll see. I have, I have my own opinion. Of course, we'll get to that. Getting back to Labor Day. So you see people throw out this. The number one thing is that unions are responsible for the weekend. Now, it's interesting because I did, you know, I've done research of this. This is, God, what I've been doing this show probably for two or three years. So I've been through a few Labor Days, but I'm spending more time on it this year just because it annoyed me more. Probably because I'm on Twitter more now than I used to be a couple of years ago and on Facebook a little bit more. Well, actually, Facebook less. I try not to go on Facebook much anymore because uh, I just can't stand it. But that doesn't mean. You shouldn't be in the Lions of Liberty Facebook forum group, guys. Go to your Facebook search bar, type in Lions of Liberty forum. It will pop up. You can ask to join. Simply tell us where you heard about the show. You can say that you heard it from big old blabbermouth Brian. You can say that you read it on a bus stop. You can say that it was on the inside of a urinal and uh, people just wrote the name of our podcast so people could pee on it. I don't care. Whatever you want to say, as long as you have a viable connection to the show and we know you're not just some, uh, some spammer. We get a lot of Nigerian princes. Anywho, I will take part in the forum conversations and, of course, our Lions of Liberty Pride conversations. But otherwise, I try not to really uh, get too much involved in other Facebook. I don't go scrolling through there like some sort of idiot. Anyhow, uh, getting back to it. So I'm going to spend a little more time on it. And, and what I saw predominantly, again, is this weekend issue. Now, doing research into this stuff, what you find out is that, number one, yes, Labor unions did want to fight for a shorter work week. And I think at the time they really started getting together, the labor union or the, you know, the, the nationalized labor unions group. This, this was predating Henry Ford rolling out the eight hour uh, workday and limiting the number of worker hours for some people, because there were a lot of restrictions on that, wherein Henry Ford had people go and do house inspections and, and stuff like that to make sure that you weren't just some schlub who was going to give you this uh, wonderful working habit in the time. But these union groups, a few, a few years before Henry Ford rolled it in, they were pressuring him. He was considering it. But they decided, okay, we're going to have a, a big day of marches, right? And I believe this is in Chicago. So they have a big day of marches and they're supposed to be nonviolent protests. But what ends up happening with all of these union thugs and goons and, and uh, working men in the streets who are riled up by their leadership and told that they have to take action to get the resulted outcome that they desire? Well, it turns violent. Yes, who could have seen that coming? Especially when you've got people, as unions do, who are very prone to violence and using violence as a means to an end. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But during these Chicago protests back in the, uh, you know, the late 1800s, you had violent protests. You had people fighting in the streets and then you ended up having a bomb go off, murdering innocent people. So all of your labor unions, really, if we're saying, if we're going to give them credit, Right. As these people online want to do, if we're going to give them credit for the working day weekend, we have to say, OK, well, how did you get that weekend? Oh, was it by murdering people and blowing up bombs in the streets? Ah, yes. So you were terrorists. The people that you're supporting are, in fact, terrorists. Fascinating. Wow. What a shocking development. So that's just something to keep in mind. Number one, terrorists trying to get their way. Number two, Henry Ford did, in fact, adopt it. Uh, he was the first one to really, to really roll it out there. So some would say, okay, he was pressured into it by the unions. Maybe that's true. But on the other hand, we also saw that working days typically go down as you had modernization. Of course, tech Henry Ford, first to really modernize and get the industrial uh, style auto factory in place. So he did not require the hand labor that you used to have. He did not require people to work as many hours as he had automation come in, as he had customized mechanics come in. All of these things lead to the manufactured state wherein people produce far more by virtue of a smaller amount of labor that does not require people to have their physical presence there all the time. The product and the output are more than worth the amount of time they're putting in per the demand that is in the world at the time. So 
Despite the fact that these unions wanted less less working days, it would have never happened had there not been technological advancement to make that possible. The same thing happens with child labor laws. We already saw back in the 1840s, child labor was on the decline. Statistics from the time and findings from the time have proven that. This is despite the fact that families at the time still needed those wages to live. So in truth, you had people saying, well, we need to outlaw child labor, which by the way, the unions also wanted to get in on outlawing child labor because the unions viewed child labor as uh, competitors to a working man because now, especially in the industrialized age, you did not have to have brute strength in order to get a job done. You did not have to be required to lift 300 pounds and carry it from point A to point B in order to achieve something to put a product on the market. Instead, you had to be there to slide a you know, slide a uh, mechanical rod into another lever and pull a rod down and push a button and time whatever it, whatever it might be. In the industrial age, you did not have a requirement that, okay, a man must do this job. You could have children do the jobs effectively the same way as long as they were simple enough and didn't require some sort of advanced intellectual capability that an adult would bring to the table. So labor unions viewed child labor as taking food away from them and taking food out of the mouths of their children, their babies, or just taking whiskey out of their mouths, whatever you want. Still competition. So they were big proponents of child labor laws. However, child labor was already going down because of the advancements of the industrialized society. Again, this actually hurts families that are poorer because they needed those incomes. And just like we see unions crow about this, yo, you, yo, well, now it's a you know, 40-day work week and then they have to pay you overtime if you work more than that. You get all this and that and that and this and that and full-time employee bullshit. Great, except, and you see this in other countries where the people need the money, people typically, when polled, would prefer to work more to make more money. This is like anything in life. What is your primary motivation? Is it to have time to relax? Do you value your free time? Do you value your weekends more? Would you rather give up that comparative time advantage and uh, and that monetary advantage by working less in order to enjoy other things outside of life that may not come with a cost? Or if you don't have children, you don't have that, uh, that anchor weighing you down financially. So maybe then, okay, that's a decision you'd like to make. You will gladly trade that monetary income for more time. However, people that don't have the luxury of having a lifestyle wherein they might want to have more free time vastly, vastly prefer to be able to work or have the option to work 60 hours, 80 hours, should they need be or should they need to? Because you think about it this way, if you're on the lower end of the scale or even on the upper end, I don't even know. I mean, if you're making that much money, to have the option to work an 80-hour week in order to make twice as much money and retire fast as early, especially in today's world where we don't have 401ks, where we don't have pensions rolling out unless you're a government cocksucker, well, makes life a little bit more uh, interesting, doesn't it? To have that choice or just to be able to say, I'm coming up a little bit short or I've got an expense that I know is coming up. Maybe people, you know, all these these leftists want to talk about medical expenses. Maybe if you gave people the option to be able to work a little more, they'd be able to afford medical expenses without going bankrupt. Now, of course, that is simply a symptom of the cancer that is the medical industry and the crony capitalism of the medical industry in the current state. But there's no reasonable excuse for taking away people's ability to work more voluntarily other than union cronyism in order to get more money for doing less work. All right, so that's just a quick debunking of a couple of the union myths. I'm trying to think of some of the other most popular union myths that the you know, that the health of employees got better. No, again, this is not. This is as a result of adopting advanced manufacturing procedures, of adopting a more technological way of of operating, wherein you're not just out down in the muck and mire. You're not breaking your back doing labor. You're not working 14 hours a day because you no longer have to. The, the life benefits simply come from that. It doesn't come from uh, having advanced access to, to medical care because, as I've discussed on the show before, a lot of times you would have working peoples or neighborhood groups get together and they would actually form their own medical, I don't know what you call it, like a coalition, uh, working with a local doctor. And that doctor would come in for a small fee that people would agree on ahead of time, service a large component of the neighborhood or let's say if you know a, a group of carpenters 
It could be, a, say, a union even, although this was on a much smaller scale. But again, voluntary interaction. So the people that had access to healthcare had it by virtue of community voluntary interaction and a one-on-one deal that they had with local doctors until another union group, the uh, American Medical Association, as close to a union as they could be without officially being one, I suppose, uh, tended to force doctors out of that. And they lobbied against the practice. They made sure that they had the sole governance over people's medical licenses. And they forced these doctors that would take these, what they viewed as low ball community deals. They forced them to stop doing that. Otherwise they would deny them medical licensing. So Again, crony capitalism by virtue of the government agreeing to make the AMA the one single governing body, which then forced out local doctors having voluntary, um, you know, coalitions. So, a lot of lies in there, right? A lot of lies out of these groups. As I tell you, terrorist organization to begin with. And all throughout history, by the way, unions have been violent organizations. They have used absolutely violent tactics in order to make their ends. They had uh, the rights. The government gave them the right to intimidate people on property that was owned by a, uh, a private entity. They would allow them to go in and, and uh, basically force people out who were trying to go in and be anti-union. Not only that, but how about the absence of right-to-work laws? The government agreed that people could be forced to join a union should they work in an industry where the union had negotiated a certain salary. Now, fortunately, I think some 27 states have already passed right-to-work laws, which essentially say, hey, unions, go fuck yourselves. You cannot force somebody to pay you money for a service that they did not agree to or to join a group which they did not agree to. Um, And, of course, the unions are just having themselves a, a shit fit over it. But one of the few bright spots in the universe right now is people adopting right-to-work laws and forcing these unions to back off and give people their free option. Now, knowing what unions do, that doesn't mean these people are not intimidated in the workplace. It doesn't mean that they're not going and smashing their mailboxes and throwing uh, bricks through their windows. All union tactics, which I am doubtless uh, that they are employing. So, are they worse or are police unions worse? And the fraternal brotherhoods of police unions, which put out these protective statements, because we are seeing this just this week, a truly despicable story wherein in Houston, and I talked about this at the top of the show, of course, so, but I'll, I'll make it short, <laughs> make it short by making it slightly longer, <laughs> but explaining the details. And they are as such. So Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo is insisting that narcotics officers uh, who shot and killed a couple of people, it was a man and a woman, they were you know mid-40s in late January last year. I'm sorry, late January of this year. <laughs> uh, they shot and killed these people based upon Gerald Goines, a veteran narcotics officer who wrote an affidavit seeking a no-knock search warrant for a house. Now, They went in there, had a shootout with these people. Three officers got shot. The two people got shot. Ended up finding absolutely no heroin. Ended up talking to neighbors and finding out that the neighbors had seen zero drug activity, zero suspicious activity from these people, and had known them to be just nice, basic people. Your everyday middle-aged couple. So how did they end up getting shot in the first place? Well, Gerald Goins had gone to his police uh, department and told them the following. And I'm going to read from this Reason article. According to Acevedo, Goins' investigation of alleged drug dealing at the Harding Street house was triggered by a tip from a patrol officer who had responded to a January 8th call in which an unnamed woman reported that her daughter was in there doing heroin. At At a press conference three days after the raid, Acevedo described the call this way. Quote, the caller wanted to remain anonymous, but said that her daughter was inside the residence doing drugs and they have a lot of guns in the residence. She stated there was also a female in the house. The woman said she looked through the window and saw her daughter was in the house and there were guns and heroin. Two cops showed up. This is just me talking now. Two cops showed up, looked in. uh, No woman was able to be found there. They questioned a passerby afterwards and said, according to Acevedo, hey, the police are at the dope house. They then called the woman who had made the report And she said they didn't want to give any information because there were drug dealers and they would kill her. She wanted them to go in the house and get her daughter. The officer said they don't have any authority to enter the house. 
So that tip basically set this whole thing off. And Officer Goins, or Detective Goins, had gone around, asked the neighbors if they had anything to back it up. And of course, the answer was no, they had not. So what does he do? He goes and he makes up a confidential informant who was non-existent that he says told him about a drug buy that happened with this white middle-aged male at the house. None of this happened. And that's in the police records. None of it happened. What did happen was that these cops went in, did a no-knock raid based upon this lied affidavit that he put in, which enabled them to get a no-knock raid search warrant, kicked these people's door in, used a shotgun to kill their dog, and then had a gunfight wherein they killed these two people based upon one anonymous tip from a woman who wouldn't back it up, wouldn't give her name, couldn't give her any details about herself or uh, you know anything past, hey, my daughter's in there and it's a drug house. Begs the question, did she give them the wrong address? Did she even know what address she was talking about? Was she a crazy person with a grudge? None of these things are answered in this. But this guy thinks that it's enough evidence for him to make up a fake drug buy from a confidential, a confidential informant, make that up, go in, kick somebody's door in with two other officers, shoot their fucking dog, kill them, kill both these people, and then come back and try to lie about it until it was finally exposed as the nonsense it is. But the kicker to this, right? Here's the best part. After all this happens, Acevedo, this police chief, he says that we still had probable cause to be in this house. Now, somebody lied to obtain a, obtain a search warrant. That's a problem. Who you think? But he says we still had a reason to be at that home. We had probable cause to be there. It certainly doesn't seem as though there's any probable cause to be there when you can't have any connection to a tip that was given to you. And then you have an officer lie about going in there in order to make this happen. Not only that, but Acevedo also describes these officers who killed Tuttle and Nicholas. These are the two people who got, got murdered as heroes. I still think they're heroes who, quote, acted in good faith and appropriately use deadly force to defend themselves. So, while we've got two different types of liars here, right? I mean, we've got one liar in the labor unions who tell lies, I guess, in what they deem to be uh, protection or advancement of the greater good. At least that's the way the, the plebes would understand it. Of course, we know that this is simply them pushing forward union labor so that the people at the top can fill their pockets and maintain dominance, which is like any sort of socialized group, uh, which is why communism and socialism just always doomed to fail. Versus police unions who also want to keep their authority and don't want to give an inch. And they maintain that by lying to the public and lying to others in power in order to make this myth of doing the right thing of the thin blue line being the last uh, defense of cops always having the right motives in mind when they're doing these types of heinous, underhanded actions. So I ask you, who are the bigger liars? And I would have to say, despite the fact that the labor union's lies are prevalent and oft repeated, that the police have to be the bigger liars here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, labor unions, some people, of course, and those initial terror attacks did die, but typically you can't fault labor unions with too many deaths. However, police, we see that you can often fault police with the death of innocence. We see numerous instances of police departments being underhanded, using practices that are either designed to milk a populace like ticketing as a form of taxation or asset forfeiture as just a, I mean, brazen money grab in order to fund different programs at their different departments, to planting evidence, to concealing evidence, to withholding evidence in different court cases. We see often that police uh, organizations and the Department of Justice will conspire in order to keep somebody in prison unnecessarily, uh, the Kamala Harris uh, way of working. So definitively, we know that police lie far more often, far more vehemently and with far greater consequences than these labor unions could ever dream of. And this Houston instance is just uh, the latest in a long line 
of recent instances showing barefaced that the people that we trust to protect us, that these people on the left who want to take away our guns and make sure that only the police and only the military have them, just seems to make that whole proposition a little bit more frightening to think about. And you see the actions of these people who, I don't know, maybe some of them are motivated by good. I'm sure there are, but quite often are motivated simply by power, authority, and pure self-interest. Now, before I get into the break for this show, I do want to tie this into another union issue. Actually, there's two union issues, but it's just too many issues all at once. So I'm going to mention one and I'll come circle back to another one with old BS Bernie Sanders. But I do want to talk about as well in California, I talked about this on the show before, but they went in and they did a, they passed a bill, which essentially was an attack against Uber and Lyft and the gig economy. And as I said before, it was California trying to destroy our everyday population's ability to travel around, get places easily, because this essentially would make sure that Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all these places have to hire people as full-time employees, which as we know is fucking moronic because the model doesn't work based upon having full-time employees. The model is based literally upon people being able to come in, come out, work the gig here and there, make a little money, check off, make their car available when it's surging, when it benefits them. You know, the market prices are are decided by how many people need rides at one given time and how many people are offering those rides. California has to come in, demand that people are paid a full salary. So no longer is the market of supply and demand at work because now you simply have people sitting around burning company money all the time. And you also have people that are not going to be logging on to be Uber drivers because they're using it as a form of extra income. And listeners to this show have told me they use it as a form of extra income. So you're going to have less people that are driving Uber. Thus, you have a source of rides for people that may not have money to have a car or people that are drunk or any number of people that need this that are benefiting from the low cost and ease of access for these services. You now have these people who are not going to be able to use it anymore. So, hey, more drunk drivers, uh, more people that can't get to work, more people stuck in emergencies, more trouble getting to the airport, more trouble in traffic getting out of the airport. So that's, you know, that's one side of things. And the other side of things, you're also making sure that people are not going to be logging on to provide those services because they're not going to give up a full-time gig making more money in order to take a full-time gig making less money, which they probably don't enjoy or uh, benefit from anywhere near as much. So hello, extra cost, hello, lower quality service, hello, dearth of options as far as rider usage and or delivery usage, all by virtue of California's union groups, which of course is the main source of this fucking cronious union bullshit, cocksucker taxi unions and other travel unions trying to push the gig economy out and politicals getting involved with crony capitalism. So Lyft and Uber and uh, DoorDash have taken it to the streets and they have proposed a addendum to this legislation, which I'm surprised they even did this because I would have definitely not have, but they said they'll make a uh, an agreement to pay their drivers not a full-time salary, but they'll pay them $21 an hour, right? As a base, which seems pretty good for driving around in a fucking car when you want. Man, shit, maybe I'll start driving Uber. But minimum $21, and but rejects a lot of that full-time employee status and you know, healthcare benefits and you know, assurance of a, you know, at work week and all this other stuff. So, you know, again, I wouldn't have proposed this, but a reasonable enough counterproposal, and they want to extend this to all kind of a tech gig economy, is there, at least in California. So what ends up happening? Oh, yeah, predictably, you know, the day this thing comes out, Gavin Newsom opposes it. And of course, the day it comes out, this dumb asshole, Lorena Gonzalez, a Democrat assemblyman of San Diego, who is a union croniest ally, hadn't even had a chance to review the company's proposed framework, but says this, ready? Quote, a fair income starts with full employment status and the right to bargain. And now she's disgusted by this ballot initiative threat. Because Uber and Lyft are saying, we're going to come in with our own ballot initiative, by the way. You either agree to get this bullshit off the table, or we're going to come in, put it to a vote, and let people decide, which I hope happens, because I know I'll support it. 
But you have these idiots like Gonzalez saying, oh, we need to reject this outright. Bitch hasn't even read their proposal. Doesn't even know what she's talking about. But she wants to reject this outright. She thinks that employment, a fair outcome, starts with a full employment status. That's a fair fucking outcome? Then you then you bargain? What fucking sense does that make for any employer? To go in and have a full employment status assured and then you bargain. I mean, I, I is there any basic misunderstanding of how the relationship between worker and employee should, should come about? Where you negotiate up front, you know, and then you can negotiate a little bit more based upon whether or not you in fact are going to be valuable to that institution or you've provided over what your labor could cost or you want to, to, to keep you around. Maybe they say, all right, well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to greener pastures. Thus, you need to make my, uh, my job a little cushier or allow them to respond to a competitor's offer. Maybe Lyft's going to offer their employer's uh, health care. I doubt it, but maybe that's their offer. In which case, Uber says, well, shit, I guess we got to offer our employees some health care. But you don't start with this ridiculous mandate that's going to destroy an entire fucking industry and then put on your hi-hat and start tap dancing around for the union of shits throwing you fucking shekels because you just decide that that's the moral thing to do. The whole thing is so goddamn absurd. Ah, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's take a break. I'll be back with more Electric Liberty Land right after this. So for this ad, I you guys have heard the ad for Conversation Mat Time. I know you guys listen to the show regularly. You heard it over and over again. But let me just tell you a little bit about the founder who's been one of our longest supporters, one of our largest supporters of this show. Uh, great guy. And the service itself is pretty fantastic because I know... When you hear the music, you hear me going on, you hear Archelicus, you probably tune out. But what this does, in a nutshell, is gives you the opportunity to practice talking to somebody about something vitally important. And honestly, I can't tell you how important that is. You know, you might not associate just talking to a stranger, calling somebody up and talking to them. You have, if you're a listener to the show, 15 minutes free, you can try it out. Go to conversationmattime.com. Just say you're a listener of the show and Bobby will uh, will take you in, take you under his wing, develop a script with you and go over this stuff. But guys, if you haven't been out there, if you're not like me, if you're not like Mark, if you're not like Odie, where you're naturally kind of attuned to talking to people, to giving presentations, to asking for a raise, even to asking somebody out, this is valuable. The reason it's called conversation mat time is because Bobby's a big practitioner of jujitsu. So the way he came about this concept was if you're going to practice to do this grappling for life and death on the mat, right? You may never use it, but, and that's just talking about jujitsu specifically, but why not practice grappling for life and death when it's coming to making life decisions, to having conversations with people that could literally define how your life will go from that point. It's a fantastic idea. So guys, please do me a favor. If you have a big life decision coming up, if you have a big conversation, if you're going to be asking for a raise, if you're going to be doing anything where you might feel uncomfortable and want a little bit of time seeing how this conversation is going to work out for you, go to conversationmattime.com, support our show, support a guy who is a big advocate and lover for our show, for our show. Well, he's not out there loving, making love for the show. (laughs) He's, He's a lover of the show. Anyway, conversationmattime.com. Check it out. All right, we're back with Electric Liberty Land, episode number 140. Show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL140. You know, one thing I forgot to mention, talking about this police cronyism and unions and everything else there that protect themselves and lie. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't lump in the head of the FBI, the government's own police state, uh, and James Comey, you know, James Comey right now, he's out there. He's still not in jail. He's still not being indicted on anything. He's still a contributor, a signed contributor to CNN, just like John Brennan, the other CIA piece of shit in the deep state, uh, trifecta, the DOJ, the, uh, CIA, the FBI coming together to fuck your ass three different ways. Anyway. James Comey, you know, the attorney general did an investigation, issued a report essentially saying, hey, you know, this guy leaked classified information. He did it maliciously. He did it intentionally to target Donald Trump. He knew exactly what his motives were. 
and we are now referring him for criminal prosecution. So what ends up happening, right? You'd think with Donald Trump in office, you'd presume he might want to do something. You know, there's a special investigator that he was doing just to look at the deep state abusing all of these special services and special warrants and special investigation and investigative properties that they have that other departments don't have and how they were misused to distract the country for two and a half fucking years and cost us $23 million for the bullshit Mueller report. Oh, yeah, you think he might want to you know, charge him or indict him or something? No, Department of Justice decides they're not going to go after Comey for anything. So what does Comey do? This piece of shit tweets out that he deserves an apology from Trump. An apology for trying to blackmail the president, for trying to host a deep state coup, for being completely dishonest with the with talking to everybody else in government, talking to the public, talking to the media. Found, we find this out that he's leaked these documents, classified documents, which any normal government employee would be sent to jail immediately for. Let's not forget the poor Navy crewman who got sent to prison for a few years because he shared an Instagram, or not an Instagram, he shared a selfie with his girlfriend of him posing down in a submarine And they said that was sharing classified information. Let's not forget that guy, right? But no, you're allowed to leak classified information to the media as a member of the FBI in order to forward a plot to try to call into question whether or not the goddamn duly elected president of the United States was a tool of Russia. Let's make sure that that guy doesn't get in trouble. Let's protect that guy. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about Rotten Tomatoes. And I did my whole review of Dave Chappelle's special last week. Uh, Thank you all for listening to that show. That was one of my most downloaded episodes. So uh, a big thank you for listening to that. Hopefully you did check out the special. I know a lot of the people in the forum were talking about it and uh, and saying that they enjoyed it. And some people enjoyed it more than others. Some people thought it was good, not great. Other people thought it was his best special in a long time. I thought it was pretty damn good. I thought it was his best special in a long time. I'll tell you that much. I thought it was freaking hilarious. But Rotten Tomatoes apparently doesn't agree with me. Because up until literally today, and that's over a week since it came out, they had a 0% rating. Zero. And Mark had pointed this out. Again, he posted this in the forum and tagged me. And so I'd see it. Zero. One of the most legendary, feted comedians of all time. Little, a black comedian, too. And this, and remember, this special wasn't simply going along some quote-unquote alt-right narrative. It wasn't going against all woke culture. It towed the line, as I said, beautifully between raising issues and poking fun at both sides of keeping you off your t- off your feet and off balance and coming at you with punchlines you didn't expect because he would set up one side and then he'd come around the side and show how that was insane or he'd come around and show, ah, I'm just fucking with you on that. It was really, really fantastic. So what does Rotten Tomatoes do? Well, They apparently only could find six critical reviews, despite the fact that I myself could find 15 with a simple Google search and not from small publications, mind you. From large publications, including Salon, including Washington Times, including all sorts of other websites, which, by the way, are regularly cited in every other review for Rotten Tomatoes. It's the strangest thing. And if you've been to Rotten Tomatoes and read their movie reviews, you know that there are uh, pretty low standards for who gets counted in the reviewers. Now, there's quote-unquote top critics, I guess, from you know the top publications. Uh, I don't know how they pick those, maybe by circulation. And then there's just everybody else lumped in, but they all count towards the Rotten Tomatoes rankings. Maybe it's slightly weighted for the top, I'm, I'm presuming, but still, if you're going through Rotten Tomatoes, there's a million different websites on there. So what does Rotten Tomatoes do? Well, they take all the negative reviews out there from The Ringer, from Entertainment Voice, from National Review, from Paste Magazine, and from Slate. And they used, they just added one from jeremyjohns.com. <laughs> I don't know how they found this one. Jeremyjohns.com, that's the one they just added to balance it out. But of course, all five reviews that they 
cherry-picked were negative. So for a full week, Dave Chappelle's special had a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, on top of that, here's something curious. Audience score. Ratings not available yet. Ha! That's weird. It's been out for a fucking week. I tried to write my own review, and it wouldn't let me. So let me ask, what does this tell you? Especially as we've seen movies like Get Out and Us and the female Ghostbusters, all these other things. Rotten Tomatoes has gone out of its way to quote unquote, uh, you know, not silence completely, but remove more negative or reviews that they thought were inspired by a certain hateful ideology. Isn't it curious that Dave Chappelle special, which is typically despised by the left for speaking, you know, kind of some truth to them and pointing out how fucking ridiculous they are all the time. Isn't it shocking that it comes in with five reviews and 0% and zero audience score where, you know, that would go through the roof. You know that even people on the left who watch it, the majority of them are not these woke leftist assholes rating for fucking Slate.com. Isn't it a little curious? Hmm. It certainly is to me. Anyway, uh, check it out when you have the chance. Hopefully, uh, Rotten Tomatoes opens up its review system so that we, uh, we the people, can weigh in and tell them exactly what we think. But... I doubt it. I think they're just going to keep it locked down. And they'll tell you, by the way, they'll tell you that they're not going to open up the audience score and reviews because they are going to say there's going to be too much hate in the comments and in the reviews. And that's going to be the excuse. Just like with all these big tech companies, right? Isn't that the excuse they always use to uh, to silence the conservative opinions? Well, we have to stop hate. Now, unlike YouTube, which said it was going to allow on different opinions and then you know, banned InfoWars after uh, eight hours or something like that, or five hours of being back on the, the website, saying they welcome more conservative views and contrarian views. Apparently not. But everybody's under that same auspice of, we have to protect you, right? Facebook, oh, we have to protect you, so we're going to crack down on fake news and hate content. Twitter, oh, we're going to protect you. We're going to crack down on, on, all, on any hateful remarks. But again, we only see it happening to people on the right. Same thing's happening here. Although Rotten Tomatoes is taking the bold step of just banning any response because they know that by virtue of the fucking cherry-picked bullshit reviews from lefty publications that they've used in their unbelievably scientific grading system that they will shit on Chappelle's show without having to open it up and actually have an honest dialogue. Just absolutely pathetic. All right, right, let's wrap this shit up. How about that? I get two more quick things. Uh, One is Joe Biden. I don't even know what, crazy old Joe. He's lying about uh, war stories. He's making stuff up left and right. Now, here's the question. Is Joe Biden's latest gaffe a gaffe or an honest opinion on guns? Because he came out and said that he wants to ban all magazines having multiple bullets. Now, this is fucking retarded, basically, just in regards to absolute minimum knowledge of guns uh, because obviously anything that requires more than one bullet doesn't necessarily have to have a magazine such as a six shooter, such as uh, even like in a little old Derringer with little baby four bullets, bing, 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 you keep it in your bra. So is Joe Biden just being senile ass Joe Biden? And, and does he mean something else like high capacity magazines or is Joe Biden literally coming out and saying, I want to ban everything except a single shot hunting rifle or a single shot shotgun? I'm going to go with Gaff, just because Joe Biden has typically towed a fairly reasonable line. Now, he still wants to get rid of the you know, bring back the assault goat ban, which is uh, uh, you know, in itself ridiculous. And again, will cause a civil war if they try to do anything like the beta O'Rourke buyback system. I just think it's Joe Biden being an idiot. However, it makes you worry that perhaps in his in the back of his little mind, his little gray-haired, shriveled-up mind, he is considering banning a magazine that's over, you know, whatever, four shots or something like that. And making it so it's literally only kind of like a rifle system or a, you know, whatever you can fit in the chamber plus one type of system. But again, I think this is mostly just him being stupid. Next, Bernie Sanders coming out anti-charter schools, which... Just like when, you know, Kamala Harris or any of these unionist, cronyist pieces of garbage come out against charter schools or against voucher systems, 
it's just amazing because they're coming from such a point of, I don't know if it's ignorance or willfully lying to people about outcomes, because they always position it as though it's depriving the poorest people of education when study after study after study has proven and undeniably, unassailably proven that poorest communities, minority communities benefit more from charter schools, more from voucher systems than do the majority white population. Why? Oh, because they have the option to get out of the shitty public schools in the ghettos or the projects or whatever part of town they're in. They now can get their kid into a better school by virtue of using a voucher with that tax money and putting them out of the, you know, get them out of this fucking drug den. Get them out of this over-policed area. Get them out of where this, you know, the, the teachers don't give a shit because half the students drop out and they only hire more administrators, <laughs> like here in LA. It is literally an unassailable fact that vouchers and charter schools have a better result. Yet you see asshats like Bernie Sanders get his suit even more wrinkled up, decrying them because all of his money comes from unions and teachers' unions. He doesn't understand or willfully denies that there is more incentive for better education when you don't have a massive public system in place wherein teachers are hard to fire, wherein they know they've got a set number of kids they are going to come in regardless because they've got this population that's just fed into the goddamn indoctrination system. Now, I think, just like I said earlier with people lying about things, I think that they know this full well. But they can't have that money while drying up. They can't have that influence while driving up. They can't have their schools. They can't teach bullshit communist rhetoric if they have that go leeway and people actually get to decide where they want to send their kids, what curriculum they want their kids to use, what kind of school day they might want their kids to have. No personal choice allowed, everybody. One size fits all. And that one size is a giant dildo right down your ass. And finally, I will end this on a happy note. I don't agree with Andrew Yang on much. I think that his UBI theory is idiotic. He, you know, he basically has one idea and it's UBI. And I think that despite people uh, from the libertarian sphere thinking that it's a good idea, if it would quote unquote replace all of the other social services, that will never happen. Never in a million billion years will that replace social services. It'll never happen. It'll just get tacked on. Now, what I do agree with Andrew Yang on is his statement that Americans don't want to work for the government, or at least the majority of us that aren't simply layabout slugs that want to retire early and make sure that they can't get fired doing a miserable job and doing it badly. Here's a quote from Andrew Yang, which I can get behind. And this is him responding to Bernie Sanders' Green Deal and, uh, and essentially every other new Green Deal that promises people jobs. Naturally, he plugged his UBI, as he always does. However... He asked what he was asked what his response would be to someone like Bernie Sanders arguing that federal jobs guarantees are better than a handout, i.e. UBI. And he responded with this, quote, the third thing is that Bernie somehow imagines that millions of Americans aspire to work for the government, which we do not. If you think about a federal jobs guarantee in practice, who says what the jobs are? And what if you don't like that job? What if you're not good at that job? Who manages you? These are all the really tricky details and implementation that makes federal jobs guarantees much, much better in the abstract than in real life. I agree, Andrew. I agree. It does make them abstract and ridiculous. It also just wouldn't make sense financially, as I talked about last show, where you're creating jobs using taxpayer money and then somehow taxing the taxpayer money that you use to create those jobs to pay for the tax plan, the tax, to pay for the federal jobs plan. Ah, just idiotic. But at the core of it, I do like the general concept that not everybody wants to work for the government. And just simply creating federal jobs and saying, here they are, come get them, here they are, federal jobs, come get them, doesn't mean that people are going to want to go and do that job. Unless you made it so unbelievably fantastic in pay and benefits and everything else, in which case that job would be so far more more exceptional than the free market jobs, on the other hand, that it wouldn't make any goddamn sense to even have the government do it because then you're just paying an exorbitant amount of money for a job that can be done by the by the free market vastly cheaper 
Which now, of course, I'm just arguing for privatization of anything anyway, because everything can be done cheaper via the free market than it can by government. But in this context, you're now creating a job which already doesn't pay for itself. And then to make it competitive enough where you'd want people to say, okay, I'm going to come do that government job. You have to make it exceptional compared to the free market, meaning you're paying even more money to people to do it who are probably underqualified. Otherwise, they would have already had a job in the free market initially. All right, let's wrap it up on that. Fat enough. All right. Guys, remember, we have three shows here. We are the OG, original, and best variety show podcast for the Liberty listener out there. Mark on Mondays with the in-depth interviews with leaders in the Liberty movement and also hangers on. He had a wonderful hanger on in the Liberty movement in Robbie the Fire Bernstein uh, on Monday's show. Uh, just get cracking wise. So check that out. Uh, fun having Robbie on. On Wednesday is me, as you know. And then John Odom out on Fridays with Felony Fridays, looking at the ironically named criminal justice system. And again, remember, Thursday will be a special release of Do Nothing Man Episode 3, Do Nothing Man versus the Neocon. And otherwise, we're also going to be doing some debate recaps coming up at the end of September, guys. Don't forget to tune in for those and join the Pride so you can watch us stream those live. You can join the Pride and just be a part of the Facebook group, the uh, special secret group for as little as two bucks. And on there, you can see live streams of our shows, including the, uh, oh, the Liberty Draft is coming up too. I forgot. We're recording the Liberty Draft tomorrow. So we stream that live to the Pride as well as our debate recap shows, uh, Conspiracy Corners, and uh, Degenerate Gamblers here and there. We'll also do a little live streaming if we do it late in the evening. So you can get that for as little as two bucks. Meh, what's that a month? Nothing. That's one less half latte. And look, we all know you're a little chubby. You don't need that extra milk in your coffee. You give that extra milk money to us. You give me that $2. All right, goodbye. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty.